Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range. And I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college. And I also served for 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. So I'm a fishy guy. I'm not, we're not always going to talk about fish, but today we actually are as well. In the Nature Journal, we focus on the critters and quirks of nature found on the campus and the wide surrounding Flathead Basin. Our producer is Colin Burkhart, who will be joining me on the show today, who is an employee here at FECC Library. And thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today we'll be talking about the fascinating bull trout found throughout western Montana. And Colin, I'm going to ask you right now, what do you, what do you think is the largest native trout in Montana? I mean, based on the name alone, I would have to guess the bull trout, because when you think of bull, you think of, you know, big, That's right? exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and there's, believe it or not, as far as I can tell, there's only a few native trout in Montana. There's the, the cutthroat, West Slope cutthroat, the Yellowstone cutthroat, the bull trout, and the red band rainbow in the extreme northwestern part of uh, Montana. And so the bull trout is the largest one, and it's found throughout western Montana. It's got a very unique lifestyle that we'll be talking about. And it is a char, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So it's our largest native trout. What would you guess for its length and weight, Colin? <laughs> Putting you on the spot here. Oh, gosh. For I'm the max, say... in other words, the record bull trout. The record? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say the record was... 12 inches long? Is that too much to guess? No, that's, that's, uh, that would be a young bull trout. The oh. actual, the largest bull trout recorded is 30, was 37 inches long. Really? That's incredibly yeah. big for a fish. Yeah, and 25.63 pounds and caught in the flathead in 1916, so a long time ago. But there's wow. plenty of big bull trout still around. And so the scientific name for the bull trout is Salvalinus confluentus, and it's related to but it's separate from the Dolly Varden. The Dolly Varden is the coastal form, and that's Salivinus malma. And you probably, other people have probably heard that term, the Dolly Varden. Why do you think that originally the bull trout was called a Dolly Varden? Why do you think they called it that? Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, I suppose it would be the, uh, the color of them, huh? That's right. They're very flamboyant. They have a showy orange uh, spawning color. And the bull trout and, and Dolly Varden both look like that. But the one we have in our area, the inland form of the, of the Dolly Varden, is called the bull trout. And again, Salvalinus uh, confluentus. Mm-hmm. So where does the name Dolly Varden come from then? Well, it's, my understanding is it's a character, a female character in a, a novel that was mm. very flamboyant. At the time? Well, I'm not sure when this was. I mean, early, <laughs> yeah. early 1900s. I'm, I'm not sure, but it was, it was, that's what it was named. A good question. That's, that's what I've always thought, but I've never really specifically looked it up. Good catch there, Colin. So on the bull trout then, it is, uh, we'll talk about its life history in a minute, but when you're fishing for them, it's catch and release in Swan Lake. And then in the South Fork of the Flathead, Hungry Horse Reservoir and Lake Kukanusa, y'all, you'll have to have a catch card to fish for them in there. And generally, everywhere else, you can't, you can't deliberately fish for bull trout. They're that protected. And, in fact, they're on the threatened species list, federal. They're threatened species. 
And I, but you know, nationwide? No, just in Mont- just in. Uh, mm. uh, well, actually, yeah. But the thing is, there's they're only found in a few states. Oh, they're only out here in the Washington, West. Oregon, yeah, Montana. They're in a Ala- in Alaska. They're the Delhi Barton. They're the mm-hmm. the uh, um, the coastal form. So they have this. They have this uh, very complex life history. Um, the adults live actually in Flathead Lake, and that's where they grow to those large size, that large size, and. They swim upstream in June out of the lake up to 150 miles in the Middle Fork and North Fork tributaries to spawn. So they enter those tributaries in August, and then they spawn in September and early October, and I'll tell you about counting their nests. But So 150 miles, would you guess, uh, true or false, 150 miles is the longest inland migration route of any Salmonid in the West? I'm going to say that's probably false because I, I think it'd be longer. Well, 150 miles is a long ways. As far as I know, other than maybe some examples of kokanee, but I, I can't think of any, it is the longest spawning uh, migration in, in Montana. I was thinking of uh, like Mississippi River sort of, if, yeah. if they came all the way up that direction. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they would have go out that far. Well, they, and they are not, bull trout are only on the western side of the state. Mm. But you got a point, you know, there were, there were cutthroat in the Missouri system when Lewis and Clark came through. But, yeah, as far as we know, they're the longest uh, spawning migration in, in Montana uh, for a trout. So the average spawner then is 25 inches long, and it has about fi- the female has about 5,000 eggs. She carries those up from the system. They, so they're maturing in Flatted Lake. They're swimming up into these little tributaries. And then the female selects the spot in the stream. It's, it's usually an upwelling spring area and builds the nest, and then the male fertilizes it. Of the eggs. Now, which do you think stays to defend the nest, the female or the male? I mean, I feel like this is a quick uh, trick question, <laughs> but I'm going to say the female. The male does, actually. Yeah? You're striking out today, Colin. <laughs> the male defends the nest and waits around for about a week or two defending the nest. The female turns around and swims back to Flathead Lake. Hmm. Now, the eggs that they lay in that nest, so they're not like Pacific salmon. They don't die after they spawn. So the lay, eggs they lay in the nest that the female lays, it emerge, they hatch in January, February, and they emerge from the gravel in May. And then the young bull trout, the little bull trout, they spend one to three years up in that tributary. We're talking way up in the Middle Fork and North Fork. And they um, then after a few years, about one to three years, they swim back down to Flatted Lake and then grow to maturity in Flatted Lake and then return again to the, their birth stream. Uh, and how many of them out of those 5,000 typically survive? That is a terrific question, and we're going to get into that. But the way fish are, uh, um, there's a term for it, but I won't bring it up right now. But the way fish are is they, they, they spawn and they have a lot of eggs, but they, don't have hard, they have almost no parental mm-hmm. guidance on the eggs or, or, or protection of them. And that's a, it's a, parody, it's a, a term that, that rhymes with parody. But anyway, it's... Um, what it means is they have so many eggs that even if only a tiny percent, like 10%, survive, it's enough to continue the species. And what's the best uh, proof that that's enough eggs? I mean, they're still here. <laughs> that's a perfect answer. They're still here. They've been here for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And the reason that people feel that that life cycle is important is because the young then are up in these streams, and so they're protected from all those fish chowing down on everything down oh, at yeah, Flathead all Lake. The predators. Yeah, until so they get big enough to go down there. So that's their life history. And then what we do is we measure 
how well they're doing by counting the number of nests in 28 different streams up in the middle and north forks. And uh, we don't count all of them every year, but we count a certain percentage of them that are indicative, like canary in a coal mine. And that's how we do it. And the, the, the nests, believe it or not, are four feet wide and eight feet long. Some of them are even bigger than that. So when you're walking down that tributary and you see them, you can really tell that they were there. And now even I personally, and, and, and the flathead, all of us, have been counting bull trout reds for about 40 years. For example, in Granite Creek in the Middle Fork, I've been counting that particular stream for 42, almost 42 years. So this will be year 42. And what we've really noticed is the locations in the streams are very predictable. They go back to the same spot on these little tributaries on these different streams. And we're talking ones in the wilderness and stuff. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, if it worked once, it's got to work again. <laughs> you got the you got Fish great practical simple knowledge. Creatures, but yes. they, they know what they know what works and what doesn't. That's right, and it, it what works and doesn't is kind of shaped by their evolutionary history. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's working for them, so they're doing it. And the thing that's so it's such a microhabitat thing is because the female selects the spawning spot, and they 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 have sensors in their their belly and their fins, and they can feel this upwelling upwelling spring. And when they find that spring coming out of the bottom of the river, the creek now, some of these creeks you can step across them almost, and there's huge fish spawning in them, then they select that for their, for their nest. They're very, uh, I guess you would say, uh, specific about where they are. And, in fact, I've come around a corner on Granite Creek, and I know, I know exactly where the reds are going to be, where the, the nests are going to be. I look ahead, and I say, okay, there's that spring coming in from the bank on the right. There's going to be some nests there, and there are. Every year. I mean, well, I've been, and I've been counting it so many years that it's, you know, that I know every rock in that creek. So it's really astounding to me to see how exact the locations are. Um, one of the things about them is that they, uh, the female moves hundreds of pounds of gravel to build this nest. Build, digs a pit. The, uh, the male, she lays the eggs, spews the eggs out, male fertilizes it, and then she moves upstream, digs another pit, and does about three of those. And then when it's all together, it's shaped kind of like a teardrop. And the eggs are buried about six inches in the water. And they need very cold water. So they're like a canary in a coal mine. They're an indicator species. And think about it, they use the lake, the river, the forks of the flathead, and the tributary streams. They're using all those have to be healthy. Now So when you say indicator species, you mean if it's if the bull trout are here, then the river's gotta be at least somewhat healthy, otherwise they can't they can't be here. That's exactly right. And the spawning tributaries have to be generally they have to drop below about 50 degrees before the bull trout will even be stimulated to spawn. So they got to be the mm. coldest tributaries uh, up in the up in the middle of North Forks. Now there is a there is a, a whole other system of bull trout, and they're in Hungry Horse Reservoir, and they spawn in the wilderness tributaries in South Fork. They used to be connected, obviously, till 1950 when that dam was closed, and now they're a separate population. They're doing very well. The ones in the the ones in the, the middle Norfolk aren't doing as well because of the, the uh, predatory lake trout as stimulated by the mice and shrimp. And so they're down to about half of what they were in the 80s, and they're holding about level on that. South Fork fish are doing better. So the, they need this very cold water to survive. So we'll end up here with this one fisheries biologist that I had on my crew. His name was Jay Lonza, and he's passed away, unfortunately, from uh, a problem in Alaska. But... Um, he thought that bull trout had a certain psyche and that if, if the bull trout was disturbed or caught and released, that it wouldn't be able to successfully spawn and it might die. And, you know, he was right in a way because we back then we were catching him, some of them as they moved into the river to measure them and stuff, and some of those would die on us. 
and we couldn't figure out why. So there, I guess the reason I mention that is it's very sensitive fish to handling. We have to be very careful with them, and that's why the regulations are so strict. Hmm. You think it's like a, a shock thing maybe for them? Like they get pulled out of the water and put back in and they can't readjust in time? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. They get and picked I, off by a predator bigger than them? Well, no, what, there's, no big, there's nothing bigger. bigger than them? Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing bigger. These are 20, I caught myself after yeah, saying that. <laughs> 25 or 30 inch fish. But it's something about their their tolerance or their psyche. And, and this hmm. biologist felt he knew he knew what it was. So um, it's great that we have them. They're a great species. They're a spe Montana species of special concern as well. well. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.